Hey, so uh, God bless you guys. Good morning. Uh, thanks for being here. It's going to be a busy week. Uh, you're probably hosting someone or you're going to see someone, and that's a good thing uh, because we are sort of uh, immersing ourselves in a culture of thanksgiving, even though there's a likelihood nothing has changed in your life to elicit that thanksgiving. So we sort of set up a holiday to force us <laughs> into gathering and talking about what we're thankful for. Um, but interestingly, in 2020, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, the American Psychological Association declared a mental health emergency, a mental health crisis for Americans that they believed would last and have impact for years to come. Primary reason, as you might imagine, is that the pandemic deeply affected people's mental health and began to cause serious physical, mental, and social consequences. 80% of Americans said they experienced significant stress. 80% significant stress from the pandemic, but also said that it exasperated past stresses that they hadn't been dealing with. So not only did current circumstances elicit significant stress, it now compounded with stresses that had been lingering and unresolved in their life. And it contributed to a sense of being discontented, a discontentment, an unhappiness with the state of our lives. So why was the pandemic so disruptive, though? Why did it stir up so much stress and anxiety and fear? And something I saw more than I ever have is it stirred up anger in people and a complete state of disruptiveness. Why was it so disruptive? And here's the simple answer. As much as we may not want to admit this, the answer is pretty, pretty plain that we don't like when our lives become uncomfortable. And everyone globally had been moved from some state of at least familiarity, if not being simply comfortable, to being incredibly uncomfortable and then having a sense that they could do nothing about it. Our happiness, whether we want to say this or not, our contentment, in our lives greatly hinges on how comfortable our circumstances are. The more comfortable our circumstances, the happier we are. The less comfortable, the more unhappy we are. Now, when I had this conversation, we started this conversation a couple weeks ago, I read a passage from Psalm 23. David authored that passage. And uh, weirdly, I don't know why we uh, read it at funerals and we put it on things at funerals. It literally has nothing to do with death itself. It's about David's agony, misery, suffering, discomfort, pain, anxiety, stress that is coming from his present circumstances. And I want to read it from a different translation that I did last time. This is Psalm 23, 4 through 6. It says it like this, even in the unending shadows of death's darkness, in other words, I feel like I could die at any minute, I am not overcome by fear. 
because you are with me in those dark moments, near with your protection and your guidance, I'm comforted. You spread out a table before me, provisions in the midst of an attack from my enemies. You care for all my needs, anointing my head with soothing, fragrant oil, a sign of protection and a sign of prosperity, filling my cup again and again with your grace. In other words, it never runs out. Certainly your faithful protection and your loving provision will pursue me. I don't have to pursue it. It'll pursue me where I go. Always, everywhere, I will always be with the eternal in your house forever. David landed on the secret of being able to feel blessed in the midst of disruptive circumstances. David figured out how to always be thankful, even when things looked absolutely at their very worst in his life. Listen, David wasn't happy that he was being pursued. David wasn't happy that he had to live his life on the run. David wasn't happy that he was living in isolation. David wasn't thrilled about the idea that his enemies were conspiring against him to not only destroy his reputation, but to literally harm and hurt him, probably kill him. David wasn't thrilled or thankful or happy about any of that. He hated his circumstances just like you hate yours when you're in the middle of something really, really painful in your life that you can't end in your own power. But David had figured out a way to not, not only not be overwhelmed and overcome and drowned by the stress and the fear of his circumstances. But listen, he was able to align his perspective in such a way that he could see the provisions, that he could see the protection, that he could see even the prosperity of God's blessings in his life. David was in the midst of his suffering, standing up and going, man, I love it. I can see the provision and blessing of God everywhere I go. I can see his protection around me. I can see him in the midst of my enemies while they're surrounding me, while they have their weapons pointed at me, while they're snaring at me, while they are calling me every imaginable foul name, destroying my character and destroying my reputation. I see the beauty of God's blessing. That is an admirable characteristic. David had learned not to be circumstantially grateful. You know what circumstantial gratitude is, right? When things are going well in your life, your cup of gratitude runneth over. Oh, God's good to me. Amen. God's bless me. Oh, the Lord's so good. We're just so thankful. We've got a good paycheck coming in. The bank account's full. The 401k is packed to its limit. Amen. But when things are going poorly, you'll even see David in his worst times going, why have you abandoned me? I cry out to you and you're nowhere to be found. We have to figure out how to see God and his blessings even in the midst of our suffering because Jesus said it himself, every path that we're on will always lead to suffering in this life. So, if you and I don't want to have a gratitude based on circumstance. Grab your notes. We've got to cover some things. If I don't want my gratitude to be circumstantial, I have to start, number one, wanting the life I need. This is one you're going to have to sit on here for a second. Wanting the life I need instead of needing the life I want. 
It's so preacherly to make up a stupid sentence like that, right? I'm like, what does that even mean? <clears throat> well, I hope to explain. <laughs> I hope to explain what I mean. A survey by DHM Research found that, listen, almost 70% of Americans don't have a plan for their life. Don't have anything written down or laid out for their future. Seven out of ten of us don't have anything laid out. Now, that's a little bit startling, but it's actually not that surprising. So when seven out of ten of us haven't planned anything thoughtfully or prayerfully for our future, then our purpose in life, simply by default, will be using our days, the hours, the minutes, the weeks, the months, using all of that to simply chase down whatever we want in that moment. Because there's nothing else guiding you. There's nothing else directing you. So if in a moment you decide that you want this, then you start pursuing that. And if in the next moment you decide you don't want that anymore, you want something different. And I promise you that will feel just like that because the world doesn't really care about your purpose. The world cares about marketing something to you that releases your money from your wallet into theirs, right? So today you're going to want to dress like this, and tomorrow, poo-poo, nobody dresses like that anymore. You're going to want to dress like that. That's why you see senior citizens walking around with black dress socks and sandals with plaid shorts pulled up to here, a belt, and, and a long sleeve shirt. T- they've stopped caring what they're supposed to wear. They know they've only got enough money to last until three years down the road. They're hoping they, their money outlives them, right? So they're not spending it on stupid clothing, right? Listen to what it says in Luke 12, 13 through 21. It's a story about Jesus. Then someone called from the crowd to Jesus. He's teaching a crowd of people, and they say, he says, Sir, please tell my brother to... <laughs> Please tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me. It it feels like it was written in 2022. This isn't fair. He's not giving me. Sir, please tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me. But Jesus replied, man, (laughs) it's very Biden. Man, man, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Beware. So Jesus goes, listen, I'm not about... I'm not a judge that rules over civil matters, but I do have something to add to this conversation. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have, for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. Then he gave an illustration. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full to overflowing, so he couldn't get everything in. He thought about this problem and finally exclaimed, I know, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones, then I'll have room enough. And I'll sit back and say to myself, friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now you can just take it easy. You can relax, no stress. Wine, women, and song for you, right? Who who doesn't want to party with that guy? But God said to him... Fool, tonight you die. Then who will get it all? Yes, every man is a fool who gets rich on earth, but not in heaven. 
You see the point Jesus was trying to make? You can end up with everything you want and still not have what you need to be the person God created you to be. The life we want and the life we need are usually two different things. The life you need is the life God created you for, the one with purpose, the one that is written in destiny. The one that the Bible says God wrote long before you were even you. Listen to what it says in Psalm 37, 4. It says, seek your happiness in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desire. Now, hold that up there for just a second. Seek your happiness. I memorized it like this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Seek your happiness in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desire. Can I tell you how to get everything you want, everything you'll ever want? I'm, this is an absolute promise and a guarantee. I'm telling you how to get what you want in life. Every freaking time. How to get it. You ready? Want for your life what God wants for your life. And you'll always get what you want. Always. The reason you and I are in such distress is because our life doesn't end up like we thought it should. But it was never meant to end up that way to begin with. So when we're frustrated at God for not giving us the life that we want, remember that God has always wanted to give us the life that we need to be who he created us to be. Secondly is this, if I don't want my gratitude to be circumstantial, I have to start feeling as satisfied with the nothings as I am with the somethings. Feel as satisfied with the nothings as I am with the somethings. So I'm guessing that most of you Maybe even all of you will gather somewhere in this next week, maybe on a different night. You can't all get together on Thanksgiving. You'll spread it out. You'll visit different homes or people will come to yours. And you'll kind of assemble and you'll maybe do your Thanksgiving traditions or you'll start some new ones. But it'll look something like this where someone will say what they're thankful for. And then maybe everybody takes a turn and says what they're thankful for. And uh, we used to, before the pandemic and before prices went crazy, uh, Lisa's parents would rent a home in Tahoe and all of the family, all the siblings, the in-laws, the nieces, the nephews, everybody would go up. There was 20-something of us that would stay in this house. You can imagine how stress-free that was for me. Um, and, uh, and we would before... And it was always before dinner, and this was painful. This is like the thing as a pastor you never, never do is put food in people and then go, I have a 15-minute message for you. So uh, it was, let's all go around and say what we're thankful for. Everybody takes a turn and does that. And in all those years, and in all the Thanksgiving things I've attended, and I'm going to guess for you too, everyone will say what's in their life that they are appreciative of, what they're grateful for, what they're thankful for. They'll say what they have that they're thankful for. And I've never, ever, ever seen anyone thank God for what they didn't have. But interestingly, I think the nothings, the things we don't have, are as important, if not more important, than what we do have. Let me read uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. 
Uh, devotion to God is, in fact, a way for people to be very rich, but only if it makes them satisfied with what they have. In other words, you're going to feel something based on your perspective. And then it goes on to say, when, uh, sorry, go back. When we came into this, uh, satisfied with what they have. Now, here it shifts. When we came into the world, we brought, what does it say? Nothing. Okay, on to the next one. And when we die, we can take nothing out. So if we have food and clothes, we will be satisfied with that. So really, really interesting, nuanced passage that I myself didn't really appreciate um, until more recently. And it says this, that true devotion to God is the perspective that what you have and what you don't have are equally important to setting the tone of gratitude in your life for what God has given you or not given you in your life. Because it says that we're thankful if you're content with what you have, you recognize also you came into the world with nothing and you're leaving the world with nothing. So nothing actually matters more than the something. You were born with nothing, you'll leave with nothing. And so what you acquire here doesn't actually matter that much at all. You following me? Okay, I'm going to give you a great illustration. This is a true story. A distraught man, this is back in the, when was Wesley? 1700s, I believe, early 1700s. A distraught man rode up to John Wesley, who was a famous English evangelist, revivalist. He, was the, uh, he and his brother started the Methodist uh, movement, which was a disruptor of the Church of England. And uh, John Wesley was a circuit preacher, a cleric that would ride around and, and minister. And somebody rode up to him on a horse and said this, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. After pausing and reflecting on what the man had just said, Wesley calmly replied with this, No, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That's one less responsibility for me. Now, he seemed to understand this passage in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 16 through 18, which says this. It says this. There you go. Rejoice always. Always, which means without ceasing every single time, and delight in your faith. Be unceasing and persistent in prayer in every situation. Twice within that sentence it says that. No matter what the circumstances, that's what it literally means. Be thankful and continually give thanks to God, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If you've ever been praying, God, what's your will for my life? Start with the basics that are already written out. Start with the idea that you should be thankful every single time, all the time, no matter what. You should be thankful for the nothings in your life as much as you are the somethings in your life. We love having a pile of something because it helps us keep score. It helps us decide how successful we are. It helps us decide how wealthy we are. It helps us compare ourselves to somebody else or compare ourselves to our prior selves. The pile of nothing is hard to measure. But maybe the best illustration for being thankful all the time for the somethings and the nothings is this. Be thankful 
for the pounds that you do weigh. But be extra thankful for the many pounds you don't weigh. That's, that's good. That's just good. You might be a little overweight, but be thankful for the hundreds, if not thousands and millions of pounds that you aren't. That's how you're thankful for what you don't have. And begin to see this, that the things you consider blessings might not be. Because I'm going to tell you something, the things that put on the pounds that you don't yet have, all those things taste good. All those things taste better than the things that keep those pounds off you. I know from experience. People, do you miss all the foods you used to eat? Yes! Of course I miss chicken fried steak with country gravy on it. I miss eating donuts with you on Sunday morning. But if I start doing it again, I start gaining the blessings of those missed pounds. All the pounds I don't have. So maybe just be thankful for the nothings in your life. And if I don't want my gratitude to be circumstantial, I have to start seeing God for who He is. Even while my circumstances are what they are. I have to see God for who he is even when my circumstances are what they are. So you probably know this. You probably appreciate this. That you are your past circumstances. Your past experiences. The things you've gone through. Many of which probably weren't within your control. Have shaped who you are, and how you experience your circumstances today. How you see life, how you see yourself, how you see other people. Maybe more importantly than all of that, how you see God. So, a couple ways to view that is, um, ask anyone who's been through a really terrible divorce or was raised by an abusive parent if they have difficulty trusting people. People who have nothing to do with their past circumstances, but in their present circumstances, that person's feeling uh, really reluctant to feel safe or to be vulnerable or to trust someone because of their past circumstances. And Gavin, you can make your way back up here. Maybe you can even ask um, a toddler what they think of their dad who just told them no in the middle of the store because they wanted a thing that they want more than anything they've ever wanted in their entire life. They say, I'll never ask for anything again. I promise I want this so bad. And their dad, who knows that's a lie they're telling and don't even know. I'm sure they're sincere. I'm sure they genuinely mean it. If I could just have this thing, it'll fix everything. It'll make me feel so good. I want it so bad. But the dad knows that after they get that, they'll want something else, and they'll want something else, and they'll want something else. 
And they'll have never experienced what it means to hear the word no to the somethings. Just ask that toddler how they feel about their dad. Because in their immaturity and in their youthfulness and in their pain, they might not even feel love for their dad. Because that's where we are when we're kids. It's very circumstantial. When we're in trouble, we feel distant and far from our parents. We don't feel love or affection for them. And then when we're being rewarded, oh, it's why we as parents love giving gifts on Christmas Day and seeing our kids open up their gifts and them light up. It, it feels like we're more connected and every parent wants that. Now ask anyone in this room who's gone through a season of suffering. I mean real suffering, not just not getting their way or not getting a thing, not getting a promotion, but but feeling like they won't be able to pay bills and there's no hope in sight. Or having gone through a divorce that feels like it literally ripped them apart inside. They physically feel it. Or somebody who's felt the betrayal of a friend, a lifelong friend that they had poured themselves out to and they feel lonelier than they ever have before. Somebody who's walking through a health crisis and the doctors are not optimistic. Ask them what it feels like to pray to God over over again to take away these circumstances to relieve the suffering to lift the veil and the heaviness and the pain that feels like it's going to crush them if they have to endure it one more day ask them maybe where their faith is at maybe whether they believe or not if God's a keeper of his promises Our circumstances change the way we see things. And I will tell you from experience, it changes the way we see God. I've shared with you my own story. Lisa and I left a mentally, emotionally, spiritually abusive place that we were on staff at and came back here, wanted to run from anything that looked like church. And couldn't find a job to save my life. I mean, I was applying at banks, at anywhere, minimum wage jobs, just something. And I was more angry with God than I ever had been in my life. I might have even felt hatred towards him. See, my circumstances shaped how I felt about him. The interesting thing is, though, God hadn't changed at all. It was only my circumstances that had, and as a result, my perspective that had. I want to share something with you from Philippians 4, 11 through 13 that Paul writes to the Philippian church. He said, I've learned to be satisfied, content, content, which means a sense of peaceful happiness. I've learned to be satisfied and content with the things that I have and with everything that happens, which includes everything I don't have. I know how to live when I'm poor 
and I know how to live when I have plenty. I've learned, I love this, the secret of being happy at any time. That's worth circling, highlighting, finding that in your own Bible. Secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens. When I have enough to eat and when I go hungry, when I have more than I need and when I don't have enough. And here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Leave that up there if you will. That is a terrible gym slogan because it has nothing to do with you lifting weights or doing 50 burpees when you could only do 40. Ah, I really can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I can hear all the gym rats sighing in like, that's not nice, that's not fair. I have a t-shirt that says that. Um, Paul said, yeah, physical fitness, getting in shape, that benefits you on some level, but spiritual fitness is far more important. And here is what the secret is. Paul said, I've learned to see that everything that matters for me lies in Christ, not in my circumstances, not in my food, not in my clothing, not in my house, not in my car, not in my job, not in my bank account, not in my 401k, not in what people think of me. He said the secret to life, the secret to always being happy is seeing Jesus for who he really is. Because listen, when you see Jesus for who he really is, then you know what Jesus really thinks about you and who you are in relationship to him. And that changes everything. Because you realize that he's never left the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. He's never left us alone even when we felt our loneliest and when we were feeling the most pain we've ever felt in our life. He drew closer to us. In our sin, he came to us. While we were still yet sinners, he came to us. Not to condemn us, not to rub our noses in it. Jesus draws close to you when you're at your absolute worst and you're experiencing all the discomfort, pain, suffering, anxiety, anger about your circumstances is when he's closest to you. It's that your perspective won't allow you to see the goodness of God in the badness of your circumstances. And Paul said, I figured out that happiness is looking past all of this temporary stuff to the eternal goodness of God. And that is how we're thankful this week for the nothings as well as the somethings. And so at Thanksgiving dinner this week, blow everybody's mind. Thank you, God, for the food that's not here so that I don't gain the pounds I don't have. Thank you, God, for the promotion I didn't get because of the layoff that you're protecting me from in the future. Thank you, God. I know I'm single, Lord. I want nothing more to be uh, than to be married. And thank you, God, for protecting me from this relationship that I so desperately wanted because I would rather be lonely now than divorced in the future because I married somebody who, God, I wasn't supposed to marry. Thank you for protecting me from all the things that I want so that I can be ready for the things that I need. 
you're like, that may be a little heavy for Thanksgiving, but I'll do that on my own. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's close this morning in just a time where you get to decide what you want to do with this. Because the wonderful part about free will is you get to walk away completely unchanged by anything that you hear from God's word. But I will tell you that you now have enough to do something with. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of God and that your faith is increased. To each of us is given a measure of faith and that faith is increased when we hear the word of God. And so you have enough to do something with. Even if your faith's been struggling, God's word just filled it up, just primed the pump, just put enough in the tank to get you going. I think this is worth doing something with. I think our perspectives should change. Listen, we've got a world, you, you see it, you see it just as much as I, maybe more than I do. In your jobs, in your relationships, you see the pain, the misery, the anger, the anxiety, the fear the world is still in. Years to come, change has to start in the church. I'm, I'm, I am disappointed with how deeply all of this affected our faith. It, it, really, it really exposed some weakness in the church. But I think it's an amazing opportunity for the church to demonstrate what it looks like to see the blessings of God even in the midst of our circumstances. To, to walk in that promise that Jesus stays Jesus all the time no matter what our circumstances are. Our gratitude can't be circumstantial. It has to be based on the idea that we truly believe that God will never leave a need unmet in our life. And if you say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be intentional and purposeful to be grateful I've already got it down with the things that I feel like God's prospering me in, but I'm going to do it in the things that I believe that I'm not getting in my life that I want. I'm going to, I'm going to stop and begin to thank God for the nothings too, for the no's. And, and I think that's going to help me begin to change the attitude I have towards being thankful to God. If you'll make that commitment this week, in the week of Thanksgiving, to just say, I want to change my perspective on gratitude. Just throw a hand up, and that's really between you and God. It's a gesture that you're taking a step forward. Father, I'm praying for every single one of us. This, God, is my prayer for me. I need help. I don't like hearing no. I don't like struggling. I don't like being uncomfortable. I hate it all. I hate not getting the thing because I think the things that I want are good things. I don't think they're bad things. I don't even think they're ungodly things. I really do want things that I believe you would want for me. But instead of just wanting those and then pouting God that I don't get them, maybe I begin to say, God, I want the things that you want. So whatever you want for me, that's what I want for me too. I'm excited to find out, God, what you've prepared for me. And it's probably going to look different than what I want for me. But I know it's what I need to become who I want to be, who I truly want to be. 
And I pray that for everybody in this room that we start moving ourselves towards who you've created us to be by not getting the things that we want and still being thankful for it because that's what wealth looks like. That's what devotion to God looks like is appreciation no matter what. It's my prayer for every one of us. I receive it as if it's already been done, God, because this is your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.